And again, with the music, I have to check if the guests left. <laughs> We're dedicating this show. It's going to be super and sort of film noiry because Phyllis Coates passed away, my favorite Lois Lane. Yeah. And Greg and I will do a show on her next time we're free. So, mm. But to have Drum World Travel, it's Greg. Hey. And he's back. We're very thrilled as a guest commentator, brilliant musician, wonderful man. Moondog Days here. Hi, Moondog. <laughs> now, I met this guest because I'm friends with Heather and Jeff Scherner, and I'll tell you one thing. He's been burning daylight, Parker Boy Damage, probably all kinds of bands we've never heard of because it's Rochester and you have to be in 50 bands. But the one thing I'll say about him, it comes, everything he does is from the heart. It's authentic. And you have to go see him, and you'll just, the stories he tells in his songs, and you'll be moved. It's Nick Corey Young to divide you from all the other Nick Youngs. Yeah, hi, Nick. <laughs> Hello. How did, um, we jump all over, but how did the John Prine thing go? Did you, Oh, that was fantastic, yeah. It was uh, a really good... Uh, we've done it, what, three years now, I think it is? Uh, see, for is me, it? it's always one of those, okay, there's the cash one, the prime. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, it was the third, because we did the first one was 2021, and of course he passed away in, was it tw- what, 2020? So um, The C word got him, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah, and uh, I think he was 73. And anyway, speaking of the Scherners, uh, Jeff Scherner is a giant, giant. John Prime Did fan. you see the story about him where, like, he stuffed his uh, CD in the case? He saw John Prime. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. What he did was he had a CD of his music, so he can't, you know, what are you going to do here, dude? You know, <laughs> so... You know, so what he did was he like he got his outside and he stuffed it in his book bag. Put it, like put I think he put it on like John Prine's like door handle on his car or something like that. And, you know, and uh, you know I I did those same things. So my hats are off my hats off to to Jeff because I did I think I gave Jeff Tweedy from Wilco a CD in a manner like that once. And, of course, that stuff immediately goes right in the trash. For, you know, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I sometimes I think those backdoor approaches, you got if a person is... You never know. It's like, you know what? This person's got balls, you know? They're, yeah. No, you know what would be the worst? You hear their new hit single, it's your song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They stole your song. But yeah. then you'd be, hey, they swiped my song. That's sort of yeah. awesome. But how did this uh, all start out for you? When did you get the muse saying, I have to do this? Well, it was definitely around, the, well, when I first learned to play guitar, which was when I was up about 16. And I was already a huge... I mean, I listened to music, you know, my, my, my house was full of music with my dad's record collection, that kind of thing, and he would play music almost every night after after dinner, you know, there'd be like a music session. This is before everyone went off to their phones and and various, uh, you know, streaming services after mm-hmm. after dinner. But, um, what do you mean, like real life? Okay. Actual, yeah. <laughs> you know, just no, no, no screen time for us. And, uh, and so I, w- I didn't realize it, but I was, I was absorbing all of that music, uh, you know, at the time, I had no idea that that what my dad was listening to was actually like, you know, I know it's all subjective, but it was really cool music. There was Graham Parsons, there was the Bird Sweetheart of the yeah. Rodeo, Crazy Horse, the Danny Witten Crazy Horse before Neil Young came in, um, New Riders of the Purple Sage, all that cool stuff, Wrong Stones, of course, Beatles, and uh, I didn't realize it was kind of like being absorbed into me. And then around 16 or so, I was already into, I was getting in, well, that was the grunge era kind of thing so I'm, I'm telling you how old i am i'm ancient but uh, you're the oldest member here oldest i'll tell you here, yeah. i'm 80 so i'm 87 years old and uh but you know so i of course had the grunge 
the grunge thing was just every, you know with with Nirvana and Smells Like Teen Spirit and and when I heard that it was just like you know can we swear on this? I don't oh know. fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! Okay, <laughs> okay. why not? Right? Because I, I it it blew me away. I was like, <clears throat> holy shit! You know, from the first four chords, of course, and um, and then Pearl Jam and all that stuff. You know, so so I was really into music for a while, or for qu- quite quite a while, and then um, a, a band called well, you know, Soul Asylum from Minneapolis. They had a huge hit with Runaway Train and all that. But before I had gotten into them slightly before all that broke. And my very first real, quote-unquote, real concert was Soul Asylum, the Goo Goo Dolls, before Iris and all those big hit name or whatever. And a guy named Vic Chestnut. Do you guys know Vic Chestnut? Saw him at a bug jar. Fantastic. The late, great Vic Chestnut. So he was the first. He literally came out first. You know, he was was handicapped. He had had a, a wheelchair. And uh, and then the Google Dolls, they were fine. I, I didn't really know who they were. That they were from Buffalo. This was in Syracuse, New York, '93. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then yeah. Sign came out, and it was the first time I ever saw. And of course, he has a distinctive voice, and they were just a great four-piece rock band. And they came out, and the first song, I was just like, oh my god, like you can do that. <laughs> you know, like it was just that classic. They're just some dudes, man. They make all this great this noise comes out of, and it was unbelievably loud I would have done the thing I couldn't help have that like a little wise ass side to me if I saw Jeff tweeting you know I like Uncle Tupelo's son Volt better probably yeah <laughs> I've always been amazed at the Minneapolis how diverse the music Minneapolis the yeah I was just it. listening to the Ed Stasium mixes of the the replacements uh, Tim Last night, actually, those are. If you haven't heard those yet, those are great. Well, Prince kind of beat at the top yeah. of it. Well, oh, Mr. Right. Zimmerman's from there too. Yeah, Bobby Zimmerman yeah. from there. <laughs> is he Duluth or somewhere? Or Hibbing, Hibbing, Minnesota. You know what it is? It's that. It's I played all, out there a long time. It's all the water. It's all avoiding. When I was in Minnesota, they were the biggest bugs I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It was like I saw a light. I thought this thing was going to come down and steal a car or something. <laughs> But you think about it, maybe like you get more of these like Midwestern like center of the big city. You have to find a way to occupy your time. I, well, and I think stuff the, to write about. That. I You're think inside, Rochester, though. in a weird way, has a a certain Midwest charm to it. I mean, it's a Rust Belt city and all that. Mm-hmm. I always feel like Cleveland's kind of the start of the Midwest, at least for me. But so I, I, I'm, I'm not really good with definitions like what's Nebraska, what's all you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I always think of like you know, obviously Chicago and and, yeah. and Madison and you know, there's are places, of course. You wouldn't know it though by going to Chicago that it's no, you know, but you know, that's the geographically, yeah. I guess that's. But Minneapolis, I mean. like you said, I mean, I was always, I was always uh, the first band for me that really struck me was the most primitive, great band, the Ramones. They were my dad had that first record, you oh, know, yeah. and with Blitzkrieg Bop and. I mean, literally was playing tennis rackets like the old school wooden, <laughs> you know. But I had no, at the time, musical aspirations. I didn't get excited for music class in school. I didn't. I never learned to read music. I still don't know how to read music. I'm not proud of that, but but uh, it, it hasn't. I haven't needed it. I think it's fine because one thing I've been saying on this show, I saw, I've seen Tony Levin many times, and mm-hmm. I think if you're going to do Prague, and this is just my opinion. You want to test yourself, your musical skills. Right. You don't really have to be about the lyrics. There's one song he did, it's all really good, really good. You have to be an expert, virtuoso. Mm. The lyrics are tentacles. (laughs) Now, when you're playing alt-country or something, it's about the feeling. You want to tell a story, you don't have to be perfect. Otherwise, Dave wouldn't be able to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's one of the things 
the, those Minneapolis bands. I love so I like a lot of punk you rock. Forgot, I have to interrupt. You forgot, oh, you forgot my do. favorite band out of Minneapolis. Like nobody heard of them in the nineties. The Jayhawks. Oh, the, I was oh, going to mention the Jayhawks. Oh, so I did you. Good Jayhawks. I distinctly remember my parent when Hollywood Town Hall came out. Now this was before Napster or anything like that. I don't know if I had even. I think I just read about them, and I was like, and I saw that cover picture. And I was like, this looks really cool, you know. So I asked my dad. I grew up in Seneca Falls, New York. There was no record store. The closest one was uh, Area Records, which was now 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 long now now gone for a few years. But Area Records was the place to get CDs, and uh, and my parents would go to the closest Wegmans, which believe it or not was in Geneva. Had to go all the way 20 minutes to go to just to go to Wegmans. But um, I said, could you please stop at Area Records and pick up this record for me? I, you know, please, please, please. This is back when it was what, almost twenty bucks for a CD or oh, whatever. You wow. know, and this is nineteen ninety what three or two, and that record just blew, just blew my mind. Opened up this, and then I found out they're from Minneapolis, and of course there's the replacements, there's Soul Asylum. Um, there's a band called the Cactus Blossoms who were from there. Well, I've you seen know the Abilene. I wish I'd been to that show. I didn't get to see that show. My but. friend Anna, who's now in uh, Monica Lewinsky, has been a lot. She's like, oh. we got to go to this. We got to go to uh, this. I, so I, I totally missed the boat on that one. But got to shout out to uh, again Danny for the Danny. The, yeah. We need more no, people yeah. like Danny. Well, Danny like, had Margot Price before she was Margot Price. He right. had. Oh wow. Um, you know, I can't count how many people. He no, had. we can't. We could go on like for. Yeah, I mean, Danny. He almost had them snowstorms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time Dave was to play, it was like I got up my yard, I got up my yeah. driveway, and I turned around, going, "Have good gig, man." Yeah. <laughs> and, and he had like Robbie Folks back, you know, years and years ago, and I, even, even I missed it at the time. And I was a Robbie Folks fan. I don't know how I missed it, but I actually op- got to open. I'm name dropping. Uh, but I opened for Robbie uh, in August in Pittsburgh, and that that was a real big th- thrill for me because I'm a huge fan of Robbie. That's actually like one of the things I've really loved is like you grow up and you see the music you like. My my friend Rob Mount, he's drummed for Lou Graham. Wow! And yeah. I've seen like Fox 45 open for Jeff Tate, friends like Adriana opened for a while. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you're playing with Rhett Miller and right, all this. Right, right, right. It's just like amazing when you grow up and then you know people and they have friends that are doing this. Well, I always say, and and it would probably embarrass Rhett or, or or whoever. But for me, like Wilco were my Beatles. Wilco slash Sunbolt slash Uncle Tupelo. They were my Beatles, and the '97s were a little bit more rock and roll, rough around the edges in a good way. Uh, old ninety seven or uh, Rolling Stones, you know, from like the early seventies, Rolling Stones, and uh, and I just, I, I, it's almost like knowing Mick Jagger for me, <laughs> like, oh yeah, like you know what I mean, like it'd be like if my dad used to hang hang backstage with you know Mick Jagger or something like that, which um, some people might be like, you know, who who are the old ninety seven, but you know, but and and the world that I that that's my whole world. It'd be more exciting for, to me to hang out with. Jeff Tweedy and Rhett Miller than it would be to hang out with. We're spoiled in a way, a little bit. Like, if I'm around you or any of my friends, I will throw out these names and I'll assume you know them and you will. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where if you go, like a lot of, like, not making fun of it, but like normal people go, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, that's a tribe people. thing. Yeah. My first experience was that, oh, speaking of Jeff Scherner from the Boyd Parker Ambush and local musician, uh, when I went to Geneseo for school, I went. To, I transferred there, 
and I met Jeff very early on, and one of the first things was someone said, hey, you guys will like each other, because he really likes the Jayhawks and Uncle Tupelo. And I was like, somebody else likes the Jayhawks and Uncle Tupelo? That's fine. I was going to ask around. you, when you talk to these people, yeah. you find you have the same... Oh, it's an instant. Well, it's kind of like saying, hey, are you an Eagles fan? Because I'm an Eagles fan. Right. And, oh yeah, I'm an Eagles fan. You're friends. You're instantly yeah, friends. What I would do, it's like, actually, Heather told me is... Uh, she she texted me. You have to ask him about Red Miller, but make sure you ask about him and Jeff going to meeting in college and playing in college. So oh I, yeah, that so that was early, that was very early on. We uh, said, well, we gotta you know. I at the time had played in a high school band where we just did you know Nirvana covers and Weezer covers and whatever was popular at the time. We did write some songs, but they were three chord punk songs, you know, and uh, very. You know, very elementary stuff. You know, but <laughs> I remember like Jeff playing Robbie Folk songs too. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. But one thing I was going to ask you too is you both covered old '97 songs. Yeah, my, I, my old band, the Burning Daylight, used yeah. to cover maybe three. Where people he has to, too. They used to think that we. Those were our songs. We played them so I much. I told people, I told, like, Todd Kratz once I played, like, Hank Third up, like, in Mandan. I'm like, dude, just say there's your song. Yeah, I like you know, When you approach doing a oh, cover, like, covering the song, how do you go about that in terms of, you're not a tribute band, you want to try to make it a little bit of your own, keep it? So the best way and my favorite way is to just take the song almost without listening to it again mm-hmm. and just right. using your memory and just getting like the chords and general Yeah, nobody state. wants to hear like a carbon copy or just like your voice is slightly different. I mean, I would say, I mean, it's always nice to cover a song that's in your, your pocket, hopefully, yeah, yeah. you know, like you don't want to try to sing a song that, that is that is like too difficult for you. I mean, of course, you could always change the key and all that kind of stuff. But I do that regularly. Yeah, yeah, right, daily. <laughs> like for me, like a guy like Michael Stipe from REM, another giant influence for right. me, is is kind of in my vocal pocket. So I can, not that I'm anywhere near Michael Stipe level, but but um, so like an REM song is almost always like. I have, I'll, I'll, in your range. And I'll say, oh my god, I don't even have to change the key. It's like it's right there, but um. The 97s are generally in that range, will go. That's probably what drew, drew me to them, in a way. I mean, and you write music, obviously, that you want to hear. So, yeah, you know, yeah, or play music that you want to yeah, hear. Yeah, like you're not going to make a prog rock band if you're not a big prog rock fan, you know. So. I think it's great now that audiences are way more uh, uh, tolerant, I guess, I don't know, or, or accepting of individual style like yeah. if you're covering songs they, they they don't really they want to hear something unique and, and they want to mm-hmm. hear it your way but yeah I, I'm fine I mean there's very few people that just oh play it like the record they're, yeah. they're there still but well they're out there and everybody knows that they're there and yeah. that's a whole like separate thing but for people to hear some music that they know played a little differently and then that introduces them to music right. that they don't know. And then you're true to yourself. Too. That's yeah, exactly, exactly the theory, the theme of this podcast, like that is to try to, please, you know what you like, try giving something a listen. Right. You don't know how many times, like, I would make CDs for people years ago, and they're like, what the heck, give it a listen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, there was this, uh, this guy, he's uh, a local guy, he's back, but he lived in New York for a while, he's a drummer, and he came out and saw the Moondogs. And uh, he took our set list, and it was just like, there's a lot of music here that I had never heard before really? that I wanted to check out. And I just, I took it as a, a huge, huge compliment. Yeah, yeah. You know what's been a real <laughs> boom, we'll get to it later probably, the Nick Corey Young thing. 
which is, I know for years I was Nick Young, which at the time I thought, hey, this is an easy to remember name, it's great, you know. Like, there aren't any, but that's kind of unique, too. Yeah, it's very unique. And then Google <laughs> came along, and uh, Spotify came along, and CD Baby were, I mean, we could, as you know, we're going to upload this to Spotify tomorrow, right? It comes up, I mean, a guy can go and make a voice memo on his phone and put it on Spotify, you know, three days later, which is great in the big picture that there's such a, you know, Oh, uh, any anybody can do it, but it also creates. I, I think I've I've noticed, especially in the alt country Americana worlds, like way more people with three names, you know, than, <laughs> yeah. than there were, like maybe ten years ago. I mean, of course, Justin Towns Earl. There's, there's, you know, I I can't think of any off the top of my head, of course. But I'm uh, thinking of Hayes Carl. Which is well, Hayes Carl, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, a guy like that doesn't have to worry about it, you know. Or his best, you know, like what? Well, like I'll ask you, like where you first played out, but. If you were at his show, I did. I see. I did saw you hear? Did you shows. hear the story where he goes, "Okay, when I started, out, I was playing at a bar in Galveston. Guy owned a lie, and when there was a flood, it got away. But you should have come and seen me. It was on Wednesdays. It read Wednesday specials: uh, three dollar pitchers of beer, five dollar wings, and Ace Carl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the classic uh, Spinal Tap puppet show, yeah. you know, <laughs> above the band's name type thing. But there's a lot of indignant dignity in um, show business as anybody in show business would know but uh, but you know you, t- you, you roll with the punches because I mean just like those those shows of Rhett Miller that I did at the end of July I mean these were you know City Winery which I don't know if you guys have been to City Winery it's a great it's more of a chain now they have so many of them but you know the hospitality is you have your own concierge you have your own dressing room you have your own there's a shower in the where dressing is that? Room. Uh, well this one they have one in New York Philly uh, Boston has one. Pittsburgh just got one. Um, they're everywhere. Nashville, Atlanta. Uh-huh. They're not on the West Coast yet, I don't think, but I'm sure that's in the plans. The guy who started the Bowery Ball- Ballroom is the CEO. Oh, okay. And, um, and I actually got to meet him. He was, he was backstage. He's friends with Rhett, so he was backstage that night. And, um, Michael is his name. I can't remember his last name. Now, now there's an interesting. What do you think makes an entrepreneur like that? realize okay i'm not gonna just book bands and just you know well i think leave them a, a space for their car you know and yeah, I mean, yeah. they go the extra mile and have all the amenities well, and what makes well i think so- something that happens and this is something as as you age your fans are obviously aging too right <laughs> yeah you know so you got to remember like babysitters and you know uh they don't want to go to the bathroom where they're worried about sitting down on the, on the seat right and, you yeah. know the graffiti everywhere you know they people that's a my buddy mike james from yeah. long wave you guys familiar with mike james from long wave uh-huh. and um and his own projects uh, hawker m james etc you know he's a, he's always says you know bands are a young man's game or a young person's game you know and it's true in so many ways because you get in a band i mean my first band we would play every day after school it was like our sports team you know like right. it was our practice <laughs> And we got pretty good because of that. But then, obviously, someone goes off to college, or then, and then in your twenties, somebody gets married, and their, or maybe their girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever says, "Hey, you know, time to get your act together." Right. <laughs> enough, <up>. enough with <laughs> this yeah. kids' crap, you know. And uh, and I luckily never never had that. Most of my twenties were a little bit, you know, just going by the skin of my teeth, I suppose. You know, floating, hovering. But uh, but in that doing, I di- I never did commit to a full-time job i had numerous part-time jobs but i never did and i and i never had any 
real financial success either from music. <laughs> but I was, I guess I had this fantasy, this daydream that like, you know, the old 97s would s- discover me and say, hey, we need you to go on a four month tour. And I couldn't have a job because then, you know, because, yeah, cause, yeah. so what if that happens? You know, of course, I didn't do anything to, to facilitate that. You know, I wasn't playing enough. I wasn't making enough connections. I wasn't, but I had this, just this daydream kind of thing. And, and then sure enough, you know, you know, you, you, a lot of it's luck, a lot of it's serendipity, but you know, you, you stay out there long. And I think a big part of the music business is just longevity. Yeah, and I yep. think serendipity. Mm-hmm. I always have this like thing in my head that there's like a big band playing here. Person goes to a music club, sees somebody playing, goes, wow. Yeah. They're really cool. Man, there's certainly some happen. people who are just so undeniable that you just, you know, like someone like Adriana Noon, I mean, she has this, this, who vocal I, prowess i'm so proud of recording in the studio right here yeah yeah <laughs> i keep I mean, telling you this you're when you're famous i'm going to steal all your money <laughs> yeah yeah well she's somebody who's undeniable i mean she could go on one of those those shows or whatever the voice or something like that probably and and, and wow people like she's just undeniable and, and a great songwriter and as well. a happy birthday adriana it was friday the 13th was it really? oh, plus really? i get all sappy because i think like she's a good friend she's generally wonderful person she's a sweetheart you know yeah, and but even that, though her demands can be very diva in the back, oh well, no, yeah. you know, <laughs> I've heard about that. But uh, but no, but I mean, I think there are people who are like that who are undeniable. And then, of course, I mean, if Bob Dylan or Tom Petty went on one of those singing shows, they would have been like, "Get out of here!" You know, like, <laughs> right. No, that's one of my big jokes. Could you imagine American Idol Dylan or Tom? Oh, they would have told him the fuck but off. But you know why I, I tease Adriana about that? Because there's one show at Love and Cup, Chuck setting up, Chris setting up, Jeremy. Ten minutes for the show, the lead singer walks in just with no equipment. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. She, she's not hurting her back. I gotta say. <laughs> and and, I, and yeah. all credit goes to Adriana for that because she she knows how to work work it. You know. Um, I remember one time in Burning Daylight, we had I had hurt my back somewhere, and I I milked that for all it was worth, man. I was like, guys, <laughs> just just for a couple weeks, guys. I need, I can't carry my amp, and I had a big two twelve Fender DeVille. It was like sixty pounds. <laughs> I was like, and then all of a sudden it turned into four weeks and then six weeks. Oh, you know, I, I had surgery a couple of years ago, and they told me I could lift over, like, 30 pounds. Oh, man. It's amazing how that played out for, kept going and you've got a doctor's note, man. Months and everything. <laughs> like, good. I got my note. That's your free free pass, man. <laughs> but, but one thing I was going to ask, too, is, like, and I've seen this, like, I remember, like, I used to travel with Michaela a lot, like, with yeah. then weeds and stuff. When you're, like, playing, like, with Rhett Miller and stuff, there's got to be a... I always used to like to see friends not in Rochester and watch people react, and I'd be looking right. at people going, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, but how yeah. does it feel, too, when you're opening for somebody, but you have fans coming up telling you they like your stuff? Yeah, and, of course, they've never heard of you, but, I mean, you could say that about... There's Anybody, I mean, gone to like a, a real, a cool story that Jason Isbell, or uh, Isbol, I should say, but I'm from Rochester. Is that it? You pronounce, we're Isbol. big, we've gone like, it's yeah, we've tight. gone to, I think in Alabama it is Isbol, but I feel kind of fake saying it, cultural appropriation or something, so <laughs> it looks like Isbel, okay? I'm a northerner, sorry. But, uh, but he told a cool story once where he was either in a hotel parking lot or maybe like a restaurant or something like that you know and they were here they are in a tour bus you know obviously they're not making taylor swift money but they're making really good money they've got a crew with you know tractor trailers and somebody asked him like you know what are you you know he could tell that he was somewhat famous he's like what do you do and he's like i'm a musician a songwriter 
And then he's like, oh, how, would I have heard of you? And he's like, well, we played, you know, Latterman. <laughs> and the guy was like, well, you know, keep keep at it, man. Just keep keep working hard. You'll you'll make it someday. Like for that person, that wasn't making it. You know what? And, and of course, making it is is. Bullshit, you know, and and any and any career. It's not the, it's not the destination. The finish journey. line and all that kind of stuff. That's my therapist would would be proud of me. Actually, Dave's got a, you. You can tell the story of your friend who met Jason when he asked if I met. Did I meet you when I was drinking? Still. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I've had actually uh, two people have told me that story. My cousin and uh, this guy I know outside of Watertown. Um, yeah, they saw him when he first uh, became solo and, you know, was playing bars and, you know, he'd come out and drink with people oh, yeah. and, you know, yeah. do shots before he was performing. Yeah. And then uh, both these people met him after he was clean and he just looks at him just like, oh, you know, whatever I did, I'm sorry. Like, I know yeah. I did something inappropriate. <laughs> it was never the case, but yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what he would say. <laughs> Yeah, he's one. I think we've seen him like almost ten times. Most of the time, I go see him uh, with Robbie. Robbie and my daughter, or either. His new one. album's great, by the way. Yeah, he's. I just Bank. saw him. Yeah. Just saw him a couple weeks ago in uh, Art Park. Oh yeah. Yeah, and one really cool thing that I just love seeing was um, there was a continuous line at merch. So oh, it was really? Just like, oh, you know great. what? This is. A, I didn't stand in it to buy anything. Well, I would have if there was no line. Yeah, there. his fans are. are they're really die hard and I think I've never met him but I saw them I guess right after Southeastern came out maybe so mm -hmm. it was about 10 years ago so they were playing in Buffalo yeah, probably about a 300 cap venue maybe 400 so it was you know small compared to what they nice. play now and uh but I first I first heard him on Decoration Day uh the Drive by Truckers record when I the first time I heard Outfit I was just like what <laughs> we guy tripped into the Beacon Theater to see him one time. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. That so was the first time I saw him headline. So really when you said show. with Burning Daylight and everything, how were your first gigs go? How did you feel being up on stage doing this? Well, Burning Daylight had a couple. Or if you did this before, they, though, they were kind of iterations of that. Where it started with me, and at the time I was dating a girl that I met at Geneseo, and she said, hey, "My brother plays bass." And I said, oh, you know, what's what's he into? And he was a big Ramones fan. And I was like, well, let's just let's screw around, you know, and play some songs. And and that turned into, let's we gotta have a band. We gotta have a band. You know, I, I guess I was probably 20 at the time. And uh, so we we made up. Burning Daylight comes from, I think, uh, the Cowboys. Is it the 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 John Wayne film? Uh, you know, where the, he says, come on, boys, we're burning daylight. You know, we were, oh, that's cool because we're kind of countryish, western or whatever you want to say. And uh, and then um, we ended up getting a drummer. We got a drummer from who grew up in Seneca Falls, actually, uh, a guy named J.P. Nan who plays in the Mosaic Foundation. You know those guys? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He was Reagan. really good from what I remember. He sang a lot, I think, didn't he? Uh, no, but uh, our second drummer did. Oh. Our second drummer was Jesse Sprinkle. That's the guy. I okay, yeah, Jesse guy. Yep. has a, has a recording studio over in East Avon, and he uh, he joined the band. I want to say around 2006, five. That's when six. I saw you guys. Yeah, and he was a fantastic drummer, and he, and then we made our first um, record in 2007, and first and only record technically, um, and, and and I wrote all the songs, and um, 
just you know like I do with my solo stuff. But it was it was a band vibe though. You know, we all we recorded. They it. were good, man. Yeah. I saw you bunk at Bug Jar. I think Jar. a couple yeah. times. Yeah, a couple of I, I I was yeah, in I the sheets that. in those days. It was like my heavy drinking period. Uh, I know why because I have your CD, <laughs> but somehow I lost the case. Uh, <laughs> I probably got like. 500 of them in my basement. So, so you can, you can, you, I'll bring you one next time. Well, the first time I ever uh, saw Nick was at kind of a private uh, party festival. And, oh, yeah, the Ayers uh, I bought Fest. two CDs right in the parking lot, like, oh, nice, immediately. Nice. I was nice. like, I gotta, that, I gotta that, take that this guy home That's a good story. Me. We had Lily Winwood on... We had, we did a Zoom podcast. We yeah, so my co-host, really, we, yeah. we got to see her. Nick's opening. Comes down. They come down and see you. They immediately buy all your CDs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then they don't buy hers. <laughs> Poor Lily. Now Lily's a sweetheart too. She's she's wonderful. Yeah, she and, uh, is. She agreed to do. I just emailed and said, "Hey, you're playing Abilene. You want we do a podcast? Yeah. Obviously, you're not gonna drive up here for it. We zoom it." And yeah. She's like, "Sure, I'd love to." And she's another one of those undeniable talents. I mean, obviously, yeah. you could talk about her father, but um, but I think that's a double-edged sword with people who who come, you know, who have. You know, there's Lily Hyatt. Famous. There's another one yeah. who, who, you know, it's so hard to get a leg up, you know, and how do you compare to your... your well, what I, the one thing, and I admit, this is my one so. criticism, some people who, hey, if you're buying, paying money to go see a show, more power to you, but I saw people bring her father's albums to sign. I saw that. I and saw that sort that. of got me a little, like... That's what, a little much. But, but what, yeah. she said to, what she said, too, is, like, she's got the best of It's like, you know, in terms of nepotism, I got the shitty end of the stick. <laughs> 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 yeah, but well, she's just great. But the thing is, if you just say say it was like Lily Young, yeah, yeah, and you just heard the music, oh you'd yeah, be blown it's, it's away. undeniable. Yeah, it's undeniable. And I have to say that I, I've never felt undeniable as a certainly as a singer. That was always. I mean, no one wants to hear the sound of their own voice. I don't think. Maybe, maybe there's some people. Maybe Paul McCartney digs digs the <laughs> thing. I don't know. But I, I don't know many people who do. But at the same time, I was always drawn to people with voices that were unique and, um, you know, real signature voices, whether it's Jay Farrar from Sun Volt. Jeff Tweedy has a signature. Rat has one. Bob Dylan, obviously. Tom Petty. Tom Waits. You know, we go on and on and on. Towns Van Zandt. Um, Nick Cave. Nick Cave. I mean, I, I can't think of many many artists who I really love where you don't instantly recognize their voice. I would say, like, one of my favorite all-time songwriters is Ray Davies. Right. And now, if you you had some, like, snobby uh, vocalist person Mm -hmm. listen to him, but all his songs are stories, and it's like you could get the feeling in his voice. Uh, The the Dylan stuff always gets on my... Now, there are, I would say, and I'm sure Bob's listening, so I apologize, Bob, but (laughs) there are probably portions of his career where, you know... Depending on your taste, it might be a little difficult to listen to. But as far as pitch control, uh, you know, uh, breathing control, all those things, he he was an excellent singer. It was just his tone sometimes would be I've offensive heard, to certain ears. Right? I have many stories. Actually, our friend Kevin Smith, he's not the clerk's guy. Not the clerk's no, guy. No, he's another one who runs into your issue a little bit. Yeah. But he said, like, well, it's like a seeing Dylan. It's like the last show I saw him was at the Auditorium Theater. Mm-hmm. I thought he blew, it was like fantastic really really but i see i know other shows where you go and what is so what was that yeah <laughs> at the one time i saw him he was 
he was great. Yeah. He well, was Kevin really, saw him really somewhere good. like by Canadake when he said it was like right. Yeah, it was a very long time really? ago. I saw him, but yeah, I mean the word. I mean, I wish I could time travel to like 1975 <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. and see like the Blood on the Tracks tour or something. To me, that's my my personal favorite Dylan. Not like just the songs, but like his his vocal presence or whatever is probably the Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, I, I agree with right, you. Like, Thing too, I also I pull out his Christmas album every uh, Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing about that is that you know they're not. When someone sings in that way, like a lot of Americana music or you know, or great classic country music, man, they mean it, man, because they can't hide behind. I'm not saying all amazing, you know, perfectly technique uh, level vocalists don't have passion, but there's something about a Paul Westerberg or somebody who's not trained, you know, like. You just be- I feel like I just believe those no, people. I had a friend of mine. I believe it when they sing. Last year, Alyssa Trahan, her, well, her songwriting collaborator passed away. I'm like, she wrote a song, See You Later, Rockstar. Mm. Like, trying to play it. She said, I'll play it here because I'm from here. Even trying to get through it. Just tell yeah. like, you, you bring stuff out. Like, you dig into your, like, about your dad and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll talk about, well, there's one song about my mo- my dad's mom yeah. on my latest record that, I, I got to play it in Philadelphia on that Ret tour, actually. For the fir- it was one of the first times I ever played live, and and my my parents grew up. That's why I'm an Eagles fan and Phillies. Go Phillies! Well, I have to and tell uh, you, after the rip for one second, you really may be depressed the show already because all the main half because I'm a Vikings fan. Vikings, fan. oh no! <laughs> but I do like the Eagles. They did, so. they did, they did beat them what two years in a row now, right? So I'm I one like of those musicians. Like I'm one that. of those. It's funny because there is a a weird thing like in my teens and 20s I like refused to watch football almost out of like a no man rock and rollers don't watch sports you know but I love I can't get enough of it I'm dying my wife knows Sundays during this time of year are pretty much you know yeah I did the don't same make plans don't make plans <laughs> the same thing through high school and I used college to, yeah I was not a sports fan and I don't I know almost, why but. it was like I was part of a clique without realizing I was part of a clique you know what I mean where it's like you're not punk enough man you're not rock and roll right. enough you know like Kurt Cobain didn't watch football so you shouldn't watch football but but I love it I love the you know I was up the other night watching the Phillies game I'll admittedly only watch playoffs for baseball but um but my parents are from south jersey they're from uh, haddonfield and morristown new jersey so basically philly and um but my grandmother who i sang about you know lived 20 minutes from where i was singing this song for the first time so i did get a bit emotional singing that and uh and uh but yeah i i feel like if you can't if you can't do that then i mean i'm obviously all art is subjective but so what's it like to bury yourself like that for the first time? For so the first time, you're introducing a part of your soul to the general public. Can you explain honestly, that at all? It's so bizarre, but I honestly, I've never, I'm never more comfortable than no, I am. That makes perfect if sense. You me, you have to be. Yeah, if you put me in in a in a party situation, then I'm like almost socially awkward and 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 um, withdrawn. But if you put me, and I think it has something to do. I'm also kind of a late night TV nerd, and I've read everything there is. Those books about Conan, and I love Conan, and uh, and uh, and uh, even Johnny Carson and all that stuff. And Johnny was the same way, apparently, where you know he was almost a recluse. But when he was on stage, and part of it's a control thing, I think too, because when you're on stage, like I'll go to a party, but only if I get to. <laughs> 
which is what a show is, right? A concert, yeah, is yeah. a party that you're the MC of. You know, you get to decide when your band plays. And well, sometimes that's the only way you can keep your sanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it like, keeps okay. it also keeps a weird. There's a distance between you and, and right. the, especially in a band situation. But but for me, yeah, that's I'm never more comfortable than I am when I'm on stage. Particularly, especially those shows like I got to do with Rhett. Miller, where it's a city winery type thing, which is like a listening room supper club, where people you're not really performing as much as you're having a conversation. I think it's like sitting in a living room, a giant living room. It is. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I saw Paul McCartney once, mm. and believe it or not, in a huge, huge venue, he accomplishes that. Yeah, you feel like you're in a living room with your uncle, with him telling you stories. Yeah, it was amazing. I'm not familiar with his music, but. I'm gonna check it out now that you. Yeah, you see, played with the band. Was he in a band at one point? I the, think he was in a band in the, the wings. 60s. Yeah, the wings. Yeah. <laughs> the wings. But I'm like that too. And I mean, if like you know me, I'm talkative. But I like if I'm in a party, I prefer to go one on one. Or like mm-hmm. if I'm at a show, I've always said I like to go by shows myself. I know people there, but I like to, yeah. I'm there for the music. I'm there yeah. for the music. I'm there not to. I hate it. Like when somebody was at a show one time, they keep talking to me with the musicians playing, and I'm like, I'm yeah, there for this, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was one actually. You opened for Al Olander, and it was like yeah, the Al, perfect yeah. thing where Al, who I think is a really cool person. She, uh, her music's like confessional too. It's like very confessional, very confessional. Yeah. Which is great that I'm, I, I don't know how old she is, but I'm gonna guess mid twenties. And I was, I don't think I was quite that confessional at that age. Like she, she has a lot of, uh, you know, self confidence and knowing who she is at such a young age is. I mean, and then yet another undeniable, especially vocally, just her talent is just. Amazing, but she sings that Blue Bayou song. Yeah. The, the, then when she says Blue Bayou. My God, I mean, you think Linda Ronstadt is standing there. Or Orbison, too. Orbison, weird. yeah, yeah. Well, he did he write the song? Yeah, I think Orbison he did. Wrote yeah. It, yeah. But, but I, yeah, I see it in theater people, too, a lot because they go up and perform. It's like almost they're very shy. Mm-hmm. You get to play somebody. Yeah, and that's that's part of. I've, I realized that, too, with. Since I've done the Nick Corey Young thing, I almost feel like I'm playing, even though it's my legal name, I felt like I'm p- almost playing a character more than I ever did before, and I kind of like that. Would it be like the, the artist formerly known? Yeah, formerly known. <laughs> Luckily, not enough people knew. <laughs> I just call him Moondog Dave. There's yeah. About, I only have to, I could probably text everybody who knew me before personally and say, hey, by the way, you know, there's like 45 people. Okay, so. It's funny you mention that because I, I had like, no plans of of singing or fronting the Moon Dogs at all. Yeah. I was just going to play bass and right. sing back up like I had in, in previous cover bands. And um, when it was kind of presented to me, I was like, I've got to make sure people have a good time, you know, in right, a cover right. band. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to engage them. You've got to. So, yeah, so Moon Dog Dave became, you know, gig days I would just yeah. become Moon Dog Dave. And, you know. Well, the other thing that was big for me is right around, well, I, I do think COVID and having two young kids in the house probably contributed to it, but I started, uh, my hair started thinning a lot when I was <laughs> probably, I don't know, I don't know, 42 or 3 maybe, I guess. I'm 46 now. And, uh, and it caused me, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I hate that phrase, not gonna lie, because it's usually perceived <laughs> something that you obviously wouldn't lie about under any circumstance. I'm not going to lie. I, I won't let it be. I'm not going to lie. I enjoy sexual intercourse. You know, it's like, no, oh, really? You don't, you're not going to lie? I'm not going to lie. I love ice cream. You know? yeah. But uh, 
but but I, I, it, it it took a toll on me. It really did. I, I, it, it you know because it's a, it's a death anxiety thing. It's a, I'm getting older. Now my dad, he him and all his brothers are bald. His dad was bald. I mean it was like <laughs> it was gonna happen no matter what. My poor dad was probably balding at like 22. So I kind of feel like hey at least I had a little bit of time. And you know I'm married and all that. But you know you and your wife says you're oh don't worry about it. Who cares? You know this kind of stuff. But but one thing I did, and this is another Jeff Scherner thing, even before I did that, he started getting me into Stetson hats, the, the Stradaliners, yeah. which are the slightly more urban, you know, I don't feel as much like I'm playing dress-up when I'm wearing them, because it's kind of a cowboy hat, and it's not really a fedora, it's kind of in between, and I got obsessed with those, and I bought like five of them, I spent way too much money, and uh, so I had already kind of, and I realized that when I put that hat on, it's like, you know Superman's you know yeah. <laughs> uniform it's a uniform yeah, and I've seen all those like Boyd Parker gig stuff Jess always were yeah we yeah. always yeah and that's sort of coordinated but not really we just I do when I have when I'm wearing that hat I do feel like okay I'm not Nick the dad Nick yeah. the husband I'm I mean I I, like I said, everything's subjective, but like I, I when I go, you have to do that. You have yeah. to have some kind of outfit or uniform well, or something. Well, you don't want to look like you just walked out of the mall. I right. mean, you know what I mean. Like you do want something to differentiate yourself. Maybe that's stagecraft. Maybe that's maybe that's false in some sense. Well, I, think no, it's somewhat, I don't think so. I think it's somewhat challenging to play this type of music in this mm-hmm. area. And being from this area, yeah, you know, everybody knows you're a northerner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you don't want to play it. Well, too I always much. have. Yeah, I get a little, I get a little defensive about the north. I mean, first of all, Neil Young, Ontario, right? Canada, somewhere. Joni Mitchell. I mean, some and Levon. David Allen Coe is from Ohio. I mean, look at the band. I mean, other than Levon Helm, yeah. they're, they're all. That's from, why the whole story between about the night that drove with Dixie down was Levon told Robbie. Yeah, yeah, about the whole history, and it's more. It's not like a song. It's about a song about losing, you know. Yeah. And I, I was actually I was in Nashville. I spent a lot of time in Nashville, so much so that it became part of my unofficial bio that I lived there for a time. But I never did live there. I don't know if somebody. I think maybe City Newspaper ran a profile on me <laughs> once where they said. You know, recently returned from his stay in Nashville, and I, I never moved to Nashville. Well, that just sounds but, better. But, yeah, and <laughs> I was like, I took a wrong turn. Well, it kind of sounds like I went to Nashville, and I was like, oh, I can't handle this. I got to go back. But, um, but this was right on the cusp of when Nashville became. I mean, it was already gentrified, but now it's like yeah. beyond repair as far as gentrification goes, and how expensive it is to live there. But East Nashville was the thing, you know. Lily High, Margo. I remember Margo Price being just you know a local name was you know and and i did a record there with a guy named jim riley who's from a band called the new dillons i'm not sure if you've heard right, of them, but yep. um but they um so i did a record there ken coomer played on it from wilco oh, okay. uh, al wow. perkins i'm dropping a lot of names here i gotta pick them up al perkins <laughs> of course played on uh, torn and frayed awesome, uh, and he played with grant parsons and grant parsons is he's up on the pantheon of my mount rushmore you know Towns and Graham yeah, and all that stuff. You know? Everybody, yeah, yeah. Stuff that's a whole nother. I could I could talk for an hour about what Graham Parsons mm-hmm. literally his voice, and, and, and you know Graham didn't have a. <laughs> there's a lot of recordings where he's a little out of tune. <laughs> he's a little maybe that it was the the opium or whatever, but uh, or the quaaludes. I'm not sure, but but uh, or booze, yeah, but. Uh, I, his voice spoke to me the minute I heard it. I said, he means it, man. This guy, even when he's singing a cover, then it was satisfied mine by 
you know, the old country song but, or something like that's, that. It's odd to get into someone after they've passed, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, you I remember. Know that, you know, I, that's all you're going to I heard that them. record for the first time maybe like a month before I went to Geneseo and met Scherner, and he knew the record too. And wow. that was another connecting thing. It was like, well, let's play... I never forget. We used to play. I'm totally going off on a tangent, but we played. Uh, you know the point. This contest works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we played the Christian Life, the old Leuven Brothers. Song, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and neither Jeff or I go to church. Um, we'll say that. And uh, and here we were at this little bar room. Man, I'm not gonna lie. I, I don't know why I would lie about that, but um, but we went to this little this you know bar room, and here we are, these twenty twenty year olds, and Jeff and I. I hope still to this day look younger than we are and at the time we looked probably about 10 or 12 you know mm-hmm. and we're up there singing you know you know about you guys familiar with the song the Christian like Life the you, know, you, know, you know and it's all about you know my buddy shunned me since I turned to Jesus you know and it's like it sounds like we're like preaching to this crowd of people playing darts and, and, right. and you know we certainly weren't getting any chicks that night I'll tell you that much and like, you to convert them but it has this fantastic harmony section with, where Jeff took the kind of Roger McGuinn highs and I, and I did the more you know uh, Graham Parsons parts and uh, and, and we played uh, You're Still On My Mind which is I, th- I don't want to say Merle Haggard wrote it but it, it was uh, on that Birds record and it just it just totally changed it was one of those change everything records you know where it was like the same and then get to the old 97s where where I first was working at WGSU which is the campus radio station and I saw that I saw the cover for Too Far to Care by the old 97s you know they're probably their most famous record and I was like I think I read about them and it was before you could look up any music ever Mm -hmm. recorded on your phone piece of glass in your pocket and uh and I was like, oh, I'll put this on. But I didn't want to do it on the air. So there was another room where you could listen on headphones to check out something, right. make sure there's no swear words. Mm-hmm. And Time Bomb came on, the first song from that record. And I was like, oh! Like, it was like, it was like a gasp. I was like, this is it! This is it! Because it's like country, western, alt-country, but... Punk and roll. Punk, punk and roll ethic. Like, I mean, I... I was familiar with Rank and File, you know, Alejandro Escovedo from, like, the 80s and stuff. Oh, he's great. My dad was a big Rank and File guy, but I never heard... It was exactly my vision, basically. And I was like, it was a little bit of like, why didn't I think of that kind of thing? You know, like, <laughs> like, like, I, I, it's like just why a, did you do that? I mean, and then instantly, I think Burning Daylight just started, and instantly I was like, guys, we got to do this song. We got to do this song. We got to do this song. And, and it became part of our, like, repertoire. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, there's. I think for any musician, there's probably quite a few records that were like revelatory. You know, like the the, the, the clouds opened up, the sky opened up, and you're like, oh, like yeah. I get it. You know, I'm one of the ones too. I like Towns Van Zandt's version of Dead Flowers better than the Stones. Oh, that's great, like, yeah. You know, but for me, it was Sweetheart of the Rodeo and the Flying Burrito uh, Brothers, Ballad of El Gordo. Yeah. Then I got to really. It's a little different, but Big Star. Big Star, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, poor Alex. He was like for a lot of us, my generation, for the indie, like the underground music guys, that really hurt when he passed away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to do a, a really cool. I was going to record my second solo record at Arden in Memphis, which is at the time I think was owned by Jody from Big Star and um, um, actually the guy who started. I think it was the guy who started FedEx was the guy who started uh, wow. Arden Records, and of course. 
I think pleased to meet me from the placements was recorded there. So the guy, I got this behind the scenes like late night. You know, this is the room where Westerberg did his vocals for Can't Hardly Wait, and he was naked and he was trashed. And, <laughs> and like, and here's Jody from Big Star's drum set, and I just, you know, I like hit the snare just to say I did, and <laughs> and, um, and you know stuff like that was really. It, there's a lot of moments like that where. And then okay, I'm, I have a drum question. Oh, uh, I don't know much about no, drums. no, no. But I just no. This is just a <laughs> conceptual thing. Okay. So was that a match set? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Because was. I've always had this thing that studio. Drums I want to say it was a Roger. Can be like it was a Roger mix set. up of drums that just Breaking this one sounds time. good, this yeah. one sounds good from another set, and then they just tweak them and. Of course, now with all the samples and stuff, you yeah. can just make you could make you know my hand sound like a drum and then right. You know, but uh, but that was one of the I had those experiences and just like any human, especially probably more so artists and creatives, you know, your, your memory is so short when it comes to that. Yeah, it's just like I was saying with like you know I'm playing City Winery with this hospitality and like the best dinner I've ever eaten in my life for free. And hey, do you got you need anything? You want some water? Do you want some wine? You want this and that? And you know I'm back. One of the shows had literally a security guard standing outside like I was Taylor Swift <laughs> I was like I, I don't think anyone's gonna assassinate me should have got your you wife throwing stuff down. to bring like oh, Heather and everybody I to try to yeah. rush back rush back actually one thing if you've never seen it it's actually really good you ever see Grand Theft Parsons yeah I did I love it Johnny, it's, Knox, actually, Johnny Knox. Knox. it's about the story about how Fred stole uh, Grand Parsons body yeah. Uh, oh what was God. his name? Oh, what was man. the uh, uh, his manager's name? Oh, I, I can't remember. That's who. That's who Knoxville plays. But yeah, that's it. But the thing is, like we talked about, the you know you got to have a lot of humility because literally the next show I played, I think, was some either a brewery or might, might have been at Abilene. But you know, my backstage was my car. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, which is something um, you have to be okay with. You can't let that. Like bum you out, yeah. and you know. And my thing, at Danny, I said I I could retire now, is if every any person asked me where the bathroom is for the women. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You see them go by the men's room, and that I'm happened like, the other night during the Prime show, <laughs> and I it was a song, you know, the, the gimmick with the Boyd Parker ambush, which is our it's it's covers. We don't do any originals. Maybe someday we'll do some originals, but it's a lot of fun. It's Jeff Jeff takes half the songs, and I take half the songs, which is nice not to have to sing a full set although i do sing harmonies on a majority of the stuff and i also get to play electric or a lead guitar which i've never played under any circumstances i i took two guitar lessons in my life and he taught me like a pentatonic scale and i was like okay that seems like enough <laughs> you know? it was like and i was like oh you can make it major or minor okay well that, that'll that'll do it and it can it, it gets me by for maybe three songs you know and then if you're really if you're a guitar player you're going to start to go that, that's like my, my just doing the same thing over and over guitar. again <laughs> I took classical guitar for one semester <clears throat> and I should have like and I just oh I could do this okay yeah and then good I just, enough I should have just kept it up I'm always kicking myself for yeah. not playing guitar that was my model throughout all academia was good enough you know, so. <laughs> yeah. now we have how many I, I have all your albums like two or three or is anything coming in the works I have now? three solo and one um with the band so wow. uh well this the last solo one was the, technically the debut album of nick Corey young which is crow got drunk i did that down in hoboken new jersey with dan mclaughlin who's uh in the band of push stars uh with uh chris trapper is the singer and chris um is not only a great friend but i also i manage chris that's 
my like most musicians i have a side gig <laughs> and uh instead of bartending like it used to be for years or you know working at wegmans or something like that which is where i met my wife so shout out to wegmans. which is where i have to go after this yeah <laughs> and we all spend <laughs> we all spend most of our paychecks there but um not that i get paychecks but <laughs> but, but shout out to wegmans and uh and uh my kids wouldn't exist without wegmans so yeah, i gotta love them <laughs> but that my, sound that sounded really bad, dude. What? Oh, geez, that, yeah, that that could be misconstrued. <laughs> Let's strike that. You can delete. You no, can no, no, keep it all in. You can explain that to anybody. Uh, I'm it's not going to give any of my political views. No. It just shows you how the fabric, you know, Rochester fabric, Wegmans, right. is well, it is. yeah, no, it is. Well, my wife works for Wegmans in the corporate office, so she'll get calls from stores down in the southern, t- you know, in the south, like D.C. or Virginia, or whatever. And they'll immediately, kind of rudely say, like, "Oh my God, you're from Ro- you're from Rochester," and she's like, "Yes." You know, they're, like, shot? they're like, "Rochester," you know, yeah. it's like, and but we don't know we have an accent, you know. Right. Just like I was in a Nashville bar once, and a girl, a bartender, goes, "Where are you from? Western New York?" And I was like, wow. "What?" <laughs> like I had, and this is like I hadn't really traveled that far west at that point, and I was like, "How could she?" Western New York. And well, we, we she's like, is it Rochester or Buffalo? And I was like, Rochester. <laughs> you know, like, and I was like, yeah, that's what I said, Rochester. <laughs> but we had a gig this one night, and at the end, this couple was like, oh, this is, you know, we just moved from West Virginia or something, mm-hmm. and this is just like the music from home. And, you know, oh, wow. Kevin was like, oh, you know, I just came from Kentucky. And I look at them, and I'm like, I'm from here. And they look at me, and they nod, and they're like, yeah, we oh, yeah, know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> See, we don't get it because we talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> no. Well, there is a weird, almost Midwestern slant, too. You know, yeah. of course, the famous... Fargo, much imitated Fargo accent. Oh yeah, right. You know, that <laughs> and it's like there is some connection there. I mean, there is a Rochester, Minnesota, which I believe you can Wikipedia this. There is one. Yeah, was yeah, actually yeah, yeah, started totally. by people from Rochester. Well, the Mayo really? Clinic's there, I think. That's the yeah, thing. I think yeah. so. And the other, the, the other key to, to Minneapolis for me, we're going way back to the beginning of the conversation, was. My dad actually grew up in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, which is just outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I actually do have a weird kind of cosmic, you know, ancestral. Uh, my, my my grandfather worked for 3M, you know, Minneapolis uh, Mining Manufacturing, I think is what it is, um, and uh, and that's why they lived there. But then they moved to South Jersey, where my dad was like 11 or 12 or something like that. So. Um, but I do have some, there is a weird, I did, when I finally played Minneapolis for the first time, I felt strangely at home. It was just like, oh, this is, you know, there's lakes everywhere. It's like just a couple like of my lakes. friends went to, moved to Portland, Oregon. They said, it's like Rochester. But actually yeah. my friend Jeff Baum, and he knows him from, he said he worked in St. Paul for a while. He said, it reminded me of Rochester. Yeah. He said the difference with the snow, though, is that's like we get the heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. There's the light stuff where you can just wipe it off the car. Ooh, I like Must that. be nice, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> scraper. See, just the way you said I Oregon, know, though. though. I've had, yeah. I know people from Oregon, and they're like, Oregon? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's Oregon. Yeah. Whatever. Like, and I'm like, no, that's like. You know, I play keyboard. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that's in your body, the organ. You know? yeah. <laughs> organ is the, you know, the Oregon Trail. We used to say. But we definitely have to have you back just to talk like music. You're like an encyclopedia. I, yeah. I, you know, for me, it's just like another language, I guess. And it's seems, all of us, and we. Yeah. One thing I'll just ask really quick with Dave, though, we used to go to all the big concerts when we were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did you really sort of convert? 
to like all like the all because I started because you know my brother was a new math. They did the it was probably not. It was probably around. Well, actually, I've got a good good origin story. Would be okay. So, you know what a Homer gift is, right? From The Simpsons. Remember when Homer buys Marge a bowling ball? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you guys get that reference. Some people don't don't get it, but that was an early Simpsons episode where Homer. So we always call that in my family, my my extended family, and my my mom and dad. You know, don't don't buy your wife a Homer gift. You know, you don't want to get something just it's really for you. You know, I but here, babe, here's a new Telecaster. You know, I did a Homer. <laughs> I did a Homer <laughs> gift. So my dad though had heard Uncle Tupelo on the note. Do you remember this compilation back in the '90s? Compilation CDs were like. A big thing, yeah, right? yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were a great way to hear a variety of yep. new music all at once. And I wanted this this record called No Alternative because it's great because it had I think it was for for AIDS. It raised money for um, AIDS AIDS research. Yeah, maybe. or it might have been um, for was it, that wasn't perfect. No, that was that was. That was uh, Sweet, Sweet Relief. Relief. Yeah. yeah, and those records, was, same deal. Yeah, this was this was. For but the draw for me like was that. I looked at the set list or the. The, the list of track the track listing and Nirvana had an unreleased song on it so oh yeah for me it was like I want to hear this first course verse is the name of, of Soul Asylum they did Sexual and they, Healing Sexual that's why Healing. I that and, and then Soul uh, Asylum did Summer of Drugs on the uh, Victoria yeah, yeah. record but, so oh, man. anyway so my dad heard the Hunk Tupelo for, and so did I and I, and I dug it and they did a cover of Effigy, uh, Effigy by CCR and um and he really dug it. So that Christmas, I want to say Christmas in 93, I was really into, and this would be a whole other thing that you can probably hear in my music, is um, I was a huge Lemonheads and R.E.M. fan. Yeah, I like yeah. Evan, yes. And, and, and like Boston, I had like, this whole, the Push Stars are from Boston too, actually. And um, I just loved that kind of power poppy, but not too too much power. Like it wasn't like yeah. aggressive or anything. And the songwriting was really, you know, poppy and everything and I love the singing and the harmonies and I said please I just heard this song It's a Shame About Ray on 120 yeah, Minutes remember, on, remember 120 yeah. Minutes yeah that's where you got that was everything. another place where I that's got that's where every, you got yeah. everything on the first time I heard you know Lemonheads first time I heard Smashing Pumpkins first time I heard uh, probably Soul Asylum um, but uh, Matt Pinfield I think was the guy and uh, so anyways for that so for that Christmas I got is a shame about Ray, and I was so excited, you know, my dad. And then I opened another CD, and it's Uncle Tupelo Anodyne. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. And I listened to it, and I liked it, but I was still like, eh, it's a little country, you know. And yeah. at the time, country was Garth Brooks and Shania Twain or whatever. Right. And to me, it was like the antithesis of what I wanted to listen to, you know. And, uh, and I just, I, I liked it, but I kind of put it down and said, oh, let me keep listening to this and then maybe I want to say late 95 or early 90s when did Trace come out 95 probably Sunbolt Trace yeah, know, yeah I would say yeah 95. so it was probably early 96 and the song Drowned was actually a sort of hit and this was back when the nerve was still around oh, yeah. remember the nerve yep. and uh, yeah, well, 95 won the nerve <laughs> and uh, and they had for some reason they played Drown on modern alternative radio whatever they used to call it modern rock and uh, I heard it, and, and his voice stuck out to me, Jay Ferrer's voice. I was like, where do I know that voice from? The song is great. Oh, my God, this is amazing. And then they go, yeah, that's Sunbolt. And 
they're going to be in Rochester tonight for, you know, it was, oh, a, wow. you know, it was a Tuesday night. Wow. And it was there at Water Street. Mm-hmm. And they were with Gillian Welch and David Rawlings, right, wow. around the time that big record came out. No, I had no idea who they were at all. I was like, who are these hillbillies coming out singing? <laughs> Acoustic music, you know, mountain music. Yeah. And I went to see some vote, and I dragged two friends who were, like, barely into it. And they were like, oh, that was all right, you know, after the end of the show. And I I got home, and I woke my dad up. <laughs> it was, a, you know, school, it, was a, it was a school night. <laughs> but I woke my dad up, and I was like, Dad, you, you wouldn't believe it. You should have been. You, could, you know, you can't believe it. And I had a guitar, and I had bought a capo. Which any of you guys, yeah. play, Rob, you're the only one who doesn't play guitar, or you do play guitar? <laughs> no, everybody does. Everybody does. <laughs> but a capo is the secret, basically. That's why we can change the keys of songs <laughs> for our vocals. Yeah, <laughs> it's, without the capo, I'm pretty much screwed. Because I'm not playing all those bar chords. But, anyways, uh, I, I was watching Ferrar, and I'd already, I'd already bought, I think I ran out and bought Trace, like right then and there. And I, I was watching Ferrar play Windfall, you know, this first sign of the record. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. It's a classic. I mean, there's no denying it. And I, and, I was, and I was always looking at it like, how does he play that little hammer-on lick, you know? Because if you do it in an A, which is the key of the song, you can't really do it the same way. And I said, oh, it's capo 2 in a G. I was like, wait a second. Can, yeah. I, can, yeah. I can move it around, and it sounds different. And then the higher you go, the more chimey it goes. And, and that told... it. Another one of those epiphany, you know, lightning strikes moments where I was like, just blown away. And of course, I did not talk to Jay Ferrar talk about recluses. I mean, I guess uh, it's really hard to talk to. Him. But I did talk to one of the the Boquist, uh brothers who were from the original band, Minneapolis guys, matter of fact. And uh, he played banjo and stuff. And, and I talked. To him. I played a little bit of banjo, so I talked to him a bit. But I never did get to meet Jay Ferrar. Um, that would be pretty cool to meet Jay Ferrar. Oh yeah, but but there is a lot of those, you know. But see, you ha- I have the you have to have the uh, the the inspiration or the 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 urge to like, wow, how do I get there? And then you yeah, yeah. You, you sit down and you try to figure stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Because if you just say, well, I'll ask my music teacher about it. Yeah, well, you know, or, or your guitar instructor. But it, it's kind of cool when you discover. Yeah, something I can't count how many. T- inflection points there were where it was like whether it was hearing something maybe even on the radio like I just happened to have the nerve on that day at that point I think I was kind of over the whole alternative by 95, 96 the whole alternative rock thing was kind of dead I always thought I think for me um, really leading to this music for most of the time I've been alive and been a fan of music yeah, is yeah. R.E.M. Oh, yeah, yeah. Discovering yeah. R.E.M. really early and just having that in my vernacular um I just think That's really, really led through all of. I mean, if we t- all the genres we've been talking about. R.E.M. weaves through. Well, Peter Buck famously that. produced or co-produced the the second Uncle Tupelo record, I believe, or maybe oh, it was the, the third, third one. one. They third lived one. at his house, actually. Yeah, yeah. And Jayhawk's on Ray Davies' reset album too. Yep. And and I would say Peter Buck as a guitar player was always one. Of, I was never inspired by like Clapton or Hendrix or any of those guys because I was like, ah, not only do I not really even that into that like I just knew like that wasn't my thing I was always inspired by I might, I can distinctly remember my asking my dad like the Beatles have two guitar players why, why do they have two There's, you know, that doesn't make sense he's like well 
you know, Harrison's the lead player, and 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 he's and Lennon's the rhythm. And I was like, I want to be the rhythm player, you know. And I was like, <laughs> and then like Johnny Ramone, like the ultimate rhythm player, because they didn't have leads. Burning Daylight, famously, not famously in my head at least, uh, they we didn't do leads hardly at all because we were a three piece number one, and I always thought oh, that like number two. I knew one scale. <laughs> and I also have always been a huge fan of neat and tidy songs. So I was like, do we really need a solo here? Yeah. Like, should, shouldn't I take advantage of the real estate better, you know, and not, not just kind of milk it? And I wanted to keep my songs around three minutes and 30 seconds long. Right. Which mm-hmm. Speaking of neat and tidy, I think our intrepid drummer has to leave. So yeah. so. Oh, is that true? <laughs> well, I already texted my boss, told him I was going to be late. So. <laughs> Much more Gosh, important, but this has been loads of fun, Nick. Yeah, well, thank you. And, uh, thank you. I opened just, up my eyes. And we're actually very myself. lucky. Nick's going to play a song or two for us at the end. Here. Well, that's extra. I charge five thousand for some extra <laughs> cup a of drummer. coffee. Okay. And uh, but where, what's going on with you two? Like where the Moon Dogs popping out at? Yeah. Uh, we actually speaking of um, not doing solos and stuff. We just became a three piece. Oh uh, yeah. A couple months ago, had been a four piece for a long time. Uh, I think we're gonna get somebody else uh, in. But uh, yeah, we've played uh, this place in Shortsville a couple times, Rebel Sailor hmm. uh, Brewery uh, recently, and uh, we do a couple private parties. But um, you guys do original yeah. songs? I know uh, we do all all yeah. covers. Uh, you know, within this genre, you have done um, some originals. Like yeah, yeah. I think just about everybody that was a songwriter uh, has left the band. Oh, okay. But we still we still milk some of their songs because they're great. We're a uh, temperamental bunch. So yeah. You know, it's funny though i i play in both kinds of bands and it's just different styles to me i mean when you play a cover band like i'm in this one called in the mix mm-hmm. and it's all like a cmf kind of playlist right. i mean i don't listen to that stuff i like it but it's not like my go-to stuff i mean right. but it's like you know reo and this and that mm-hmm. but it's like i have to go and learn and listen to all these songs and by learning all those drum parts i learn a lot of stuff yeah and i learn new ways to approach like my other stuff that I do. So. One of the best things for me about the Boyd Parker ambush is when we learn like a classic country song, whether it's Haggard or Hank Williams, or because you realize like the craft that goes right. into those. They sound like simple little ditties, like two, two. Some of those songs don't even hit three minutes, you know. And but they're so well crafted, and they don't waste any it's how space. How they twist things around, they don't waste yeah. any space. Spread patterns. And, 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 yeah, yeah, I mean, every they always is you know. Significant. You know, Hillbilly Shakespeare. I said about Willie Nelson playing guitar. Like, watch him play guitar. Nothing's wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he might be wasted. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably. That's probably, if we do anything about songwriting, is for me, is don't waste anything and don't don't say, don't use any lyric that you have even an inkling that you're going to regret. That's like short story writing. Short yeah. story writing, they say, everything pushes the plot. Don't waste anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think you know, you can... Sometimes things are of the moment. Like, there's a Burning Daylight song that... Well, there's an old 97 song called Doreen that uh, Burning Daylight used to cover. And in it, and it, he mentions a gas station that's local to Dallas, where they're from. Yeah. Um, a, a, a Fina, maybe, I think it's called. And... Um, and I thought, you know, that's cool to, like, put something local in your songs, you know. And I think Fountains of Wayne used to do that sometimes. They'd talk about places. Haley's Comet by Dave Elvin. Yeah. Like, I, I used to think maybe that's too corny, but I was like, I'm going to do that. So I think it's great. There's a song. I do, too. I love it. There's a song. So there's a song on, on the Burning Daylight record where I mentioned the Hesmart, you know, which is local to what? Syracuse, yeah. Central New York, I guess, in Rochester. And um, I can remember someone hearing it who was like, 
she was like an English major or something at Geneseo, and she like criticized me for it. She was like, "That's so corny, like it's Hesmart, like that's like." And I was like, "No, it fits the song." Like I, I have, I will backtrack. I mean, I'll, I'll take ten minutes to pick out a jacket or something, but at the same time, okay. but at the same time, uh, when it comes to songwriting, usually I'll just I can. No, it works. Like yeah. you know oh, what I mean. And then look for Nick everywhere as he can. And now, I guess it's time to bid adieu. I and bid adieu. Thank you. And <laughs> thanks a lot, Alfie. It's been great. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Look all over for Boyd Parker. Boyd and Parker Nick, Nick Corey Young. Nick Corey Young. Don't look lot. up Nick Young. He's a basketball. <laughs> thanks yeah. a lot. I'm not ever coming home. I know it for too long to think I'll ever see the night and I know I'm always on my phone But I've still got some songs to sing I've still got some fight Well I'm almost all alone tonight I'm almost all alone To beat the band And if he could use some sand But still The ocean's in July Slow down Staring at the wall And I swear I felt this all before I'm not sure if I lie Well I'm almost all alone Tonight all alone tonight well, First things first, I'm gonna let you down real hard and Then I'm gonna make you wish the worst Didn't always make that sound The sound that's always coming like a curse Another fever comes around I always feel it coming Just one verse until my throat It comes unwound It's choking when I tell you Faking To make it through this hour And I'm climbing up that tower I built The one I'm hiding in Static on the phone And my cover just got blown again I'm not sure how to win Well I'm almost all alone Tonight I'm almost all alone Walking down Main Street, getting a 
concrete Looking for a purpose From a neon sign well, I would meet you anywhere Western sun meets the air You'll hit the road Never looking behind Can you deny There's nothing greater There's nothing more Traveling hands tied Saint Genevieve Hold back the water Saints don't bother With the tear-stained Saints don't bother with the tears stained. 